Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Jesse Walhoff. So, Jesse, why don't you just kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church that you're at? Yeah, so my name is Jesse Walhoff. I'm pastor at Living Water Community Church over in Sheldon, Iowa. Been here uh, about six and a half years now. Um, we have two campuses, one in Orange City, one in Sheldon. Uh, about 250 members between the two, about 600 people attending between the two campuses, give or take. As far as family, I have uh, the best of both worlds in that I have awesome parents and an awesome sister and brother-in-law and nephew, but I'm not married. So uh, I'm a single guy serving in ministry, which uh, most people think would be quite the chore. I love it. I think it's great. I love being single, love being in ministry, and it offers me a lot of time to, uh, to do what I need to do in terms of serving the Lord and serving the church. So not much by way of family other than hi, mom and dad and yeah. sister and brother-in-law. So, yeah. Awesome. So uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about your call to ministry. When, when did you come into the ministry or when did you kind of know God was calling you into the ministry? Yeah. So my call to ministry actually sort of began basically the exact same time I became a Christian and uh, you know, I got a pretty long and weird story involving all kinds of partying, getting kicked out of college and various other things. Shout out Dort University. <laughs> and uh, it was after a Bible study one night, an alternative Bible study. And I uh, was walking around uh, probably, you know, uh, literally because the Bible study was based on Fight Club. I think I got smashed in the nose that a couple of times that night. And uh, I was drinking a few beers, walking around and and opened to first Peter five, seven says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And at that point, uh, I felt something in my soul say, uh, now you know what I feel for you and what you must tell people the rest of your life. Hmm. 
And uh, at that point, gave up the party and graduated dork. But my call to pastoral ministry didn't really start until about seven years later. I was uh, running from it for seven years, which, of course, brought me to Alaska to work with homeless kids and then Chicago for a while and and then into homelessness for a bit. And, you know, and then uh, at one point I just called up my dad and I said, I think God's telling me to go to seminary. And he said, well, it's about time. I've been waiting. And uh, in 2011, uh, no, excuse me, 2013, uh, I enrolled in Sioux Falls Seminary. And uh, yeah, I spent a couple of years there and it was great. Got my degree and did my time over at Calvin Theological Seminary for the MDiv program and was a candidate in 2015. So yeah, kind of an alternative route more than most people, I think. So, yeah, well, that's awesome. One of the things that I, I thought was funny, um, cause I had a similar experience when I w- felt my call to ministry, I was like, man, I never saw that coming. I never in a million years thought that was coming. And other people were like, oh yeah, we saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how? <laughs> yeah. I never in a million years thought I would be a pastor. Yeah. And I, it's, it's funny because like, whether it be your situation or my dad, it's like, why didn't you guys say anything years ago? And in my case, they're like, we tried, you just wouldn't listen. I am. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You were just as stubborn and <laughs> yeah, just a stubborn kid going, I know what the world is having no idea what the future held at all, you know? So no, it's, it's been good. I'm glad to glad to be called to this role and to call be called to the church that I'm at. It's, it's been a pleasure to serve in this capacity. Yeah. So you went straight out of seminary then into your current call, I assume. So that's also kind of a bit alternative route too. Uh, I was a candidate in 2014 slash 2015. And then uh, I, I actually needed, uh, I believe, a couple hours because at that time during the MDiv program, you had to have so many hours of practical ministry. And one of my professors said, look, you're good at outreach. You've been working with VOA all through seminary and running the nonprofit wing of the, wing of the seminary. Why don't you come work for me as an outreach pastor over in Marion, South Dakota? There's a town of Dalton, South Dakota, which has like 39 people, 37 of which are homeless, and we want to reach out to that population. And so I said, sure, let's do it. And he was actually uh, the lead pastor at a small Mennonite church called uh, Evangelical Mennonite Brethren over in Marion, South Dakota, a little country church. And those people just embraced me and loved me to death. And so my first uh, year and a half was actually as an outreach pastor in a Mennonite congregation to a small town in South Dakota. And then, uh, yeah, the, the full-time call came in with living water and been here since 2016. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You, you are, you have a lot of alternative routes here coming into ministry. That's awesome. Yeah. been a little different than, than most I would assume. So now did you, uh, did you grow up in the CRC? You said you went to Dort. So are you like a CRC boy kind of born and raised or did you come into Dort from a different direction as well? No, I was always CRC. I was baptized actually at Shalom CRC over in Sioux Falls. And, uh, I've been CRC my entire life. Now, granted when you're in college and the Mennonite experience and, you know, in my various travels to Alaska and Chicago and various other places, you, attend different churches, you know, whether they be RCA or, you know, Presbyterian or whatever. 
But at my core, I've always been Christian reformed and knew very well that pastor or not, that's where I was going to land. As I tell my family, my, my grandpa was one of the founders of his church up in Edgerton, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, I was born CRC. I'll live CRC. And as long as there's a CRC to serve, I'll probably die CRC. So, mm-hmm. amen. Yep, that's kind of where my aside from Jesus Christ, that is where my allegiance lies. Yeah. So, so, so on that note, then I, I just love to hear your thoughts then on kind of if you you've kind of been connected to the CRC your whole life. Um, what what's your thoughts on kind of the trajectory the CRC has been going since you know when you were younger and in the church and then kind of to where we are now? Yeah, I think. You know, it's weird because there's actually there's there's small little subsets of the CRC within the CRC, right? Mm-hmm. You have one mm-hmm. subset, it seems, over in a in in Grand Rapids. You have another subset kind of over in the Midwest, and you have another subset over in California. And it's interesting because they all have their little different pockets of culture. And so being primarily in the Midwest specifically. You know, or if Grand Rapids is is the Mecca, so to speak, Orange City and Peller, the Medina, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Growing up around that, you definitely get a vibe for what is happening in the CRC versus what you want to happen in the CRC, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what is happening or what has happened, especially since 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, has been very much this overwhelming sense of we must stick with our tradition. We must stick with our creeds and confessions. We must stick with our scripture in spite of the things that are taking place that threaten to steer us away from all those things. And so when we talk about the CRC and its trajectory, I almost viewed as two different things. It's where we have been and where people would like us to be. Right. Where we have been has been very tumultuous. We all know about the women in office thing in 1996. We all know that, you know, that uh, our relationship with the RCA took very much permanence there for a while. We all know about the tension in 2016 leading up to the HSR in 2022. So it's been very like up and down trying to find our identity, it seems. Mm -hmm. Whereas we in the Midwest and me myself, I'm like, I know exactly what the CRC is. It's us. It's the people who are conservative, who believe very much in the confessions, in the creeds, who are very much orthodox uh, in our belief system. So that's a long and short way of saying, how have I seen the trajectory of the CRC? It's gone through many changes in terms of practicality, but in terms of our belief, where I currently am stationed, it hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's right. That's actually one of the things that um, I've told people quite a bit that that I think actually, and it's not just because I'm a Midwest guy as well, because on this podcast, we're interviewing pastors from all over the place, from California and Canada and, you know, Southern United States, all over Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we all seem to have pretty similar ideas on who we are as a Christian Reformed Church. I think actually the vast majority Right. And, and uh, Willie and I have been telling everybody for a long time, even leading up to this past synod that like, we think probably 75% of the Christian reformed churches 
is kind of conservative and confessional and is in an agreement and alignment on this issue. But there's this, this 25% that is really having this kind of identity. I think they'll be angry, but I think they're having an identity crisis on, yeah. on who are we as the CRC? And they're trying to figure that out and change. And we're saying our identity is found Yes, in Christ, but but as a denomination, it's found in these three forms of unity because this is what we've covenanted around. We've said this is who we are as as a people. We're not trying to weasel in and out of those things. No, you're you're exactly right, and and it's interesting because when it comes to the identity of the CRC, I'm often left wondering who changed. I didn't change. None of the churches that I know changed. None of the pastors around me changed. Nothing changed. So what changed that all of a sudden the CRC seems to think that it needs a new sense of who it is? Yeah. It, 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 where did that come from? And I've been racking my brain for probably the last six years because we all saw the HSR come and we all know what, knew what was going to transpire. We see the culture around us. We see our RCA brethren going through the, you know, the devastation that is unfortunately hitting yep. their denomination. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I'm, I'm racking my brain for the last six years, sitting sitting there thinking, if we didn't change, what was the reality that was instituted upon that 25, 30% that all of a sudden a new revelation needs to happen in spite of 160 years of history, in spite of 2,000 years of tradition, in spite of 6,000 years of biblical truth, where did this new revelation come from that all of a sudden in the last half decade, now we need to switch. I, 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 I do not understand it. Yeah. It's kind of confusing to me as well. And uh, you know, you were at Synod 2022 as well. That's where we met. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me was there were different definitions of what it means to be reformed. Yeah. And so like uh, many of the progressives, whatever you want to call them, we're saying like, you guys aren't being reformed. You guys, you conservatives, you just are like, you want to be Baptists or they, they were accusing us of being Baptists and fundamentalists and all of this. And I'm like, all we're trying to say is we should believe our confessions that are reformed, that are the Christian reformed confessions. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm really confused by that. What, 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 at what point did the confessions become something that was that was malleable at what point did they become movable at what point did they become almost not not covenantal right because if that if that's the case i mean let's just name that and move forward in whatever trajectories we need to move but if their argument is you know being reformed means always reforming you're absolutely right we always need to be reforming in terms of how we do ministry we don't need to be reforming in terms of reforming again into something that's not biblical. Mm-hmm. That's not reformed at all. And that's my main problem with it. It's always be reforming does not mean that we go contrary to the creeds, confessions and scriptures. So yeah. so yeah, that's just one of my primary concerns right now with the trajectory of the CRC. Yeah. And so you said you've been kind of racking your brain for the last six years on like how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have thoughts on on how that happened, on on how this kind of portion of the CRC kind of wandered, wandered off? You know, I, so I think one of the big things that we as a 
as an institution, as a tradition, as a culture, as a denomination, whatever noun you want to use, one of the big things that we have failed upon, especially since probably the late 1950s, is the fear of planting our flag firmly in the ground and saying, this is what we believe on a specific issue, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a pendulum swing, as is per every culture and in every institution where you're founded in, you know, the CRC history splitting off the RCA. You're founded in complete orthodoxy, so much so that when it comes to Freemason, we you say to the RCA, you guys aren't firm enough against it, right? And then you kind of take a pendulum swing. And then in the 1950s, it swings back. And then you have situations about dancing and, you know, you can't play cards and various other things. And then the 70s and 80s, it's almost like the pendulum swung the other way. And we said... You know, those those were really divisive things that we did. Let's really leave what almost we believe up to the individual churches, because we can't take such a hard stance on this stuff. We're getting too legalistic. And so the pendulum swung all the way to the point that when things, regardless of where you stand on women in office, but when things like women in office came up in 95, 96, a little bit earlier, all the way launching back to the 1970s, it wasn't the CRC taking a stance and saying, this is what we all believe. Our stance was, it's up for you guys to decide. And when you instill a culture that basically says, we're going to leave it up to you to decide both things are okay. We can live in tension with one another. You're inviting in that culture for the near future. And I'm not saying that the HSR and, and you know, the, the question of human sexuality is that much of a problem in terms of relating it to women in office. But what I am saying is we refuse to take a firm stance on a lot of things. And so when it came to this stance and we had to take a firm stance, we've allowed ourselves to drift into anything's acceptable. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, so, no, I com I completely agree. And Jesse, I'm just wondering what, what we're using here is kind of the slippery slope argument and how it's kind of, reared its ugly head from 20 to 25 years ago into the fruition of what we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. uh, are, is, is that, that's kind of what you're saying is if you compromise here and you don't take a firm stance, you open yourself up to the potentiality of even worse theological problematics uh, further on down the road, which is where we're at now. Is that yeah. kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think, I think one of the biggest failings that the CRC has had in the last 25, 30 years is the courage to stand up for what it believes which is right, wrong, or otherwise. And I don't just mean pastors in the CRC. I mean decisions on an institutional level, decisions on a collegiate level. What we stand up for needs to be clearly named and say, if you do not abide by these standards, then we cannot covenant with one another according to those standards with which they require. When we decided that we could be somewhat relative on some things, we instituted an entire culture of you can be somewhat relative on everything. So that's a very good way to put it is it's the slippery slope. It, women in office was not the issue that started it, but it was a slow build. And here we are now yeah. to the point where 30% of the denomination, according to the vote, thinks that uh, it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just a like the slippery slope like fallacy. It's saying that there was a fundamental error 
somewhere that has caused us to keep going down this road. And that happened before women in office. The, the issue was there. I think women in office and how we handled that was just, again, another symptom of this, this error that we've been holding on to. And, and really what I find interesting about it is as, as you were talking, I was thinking it is really this uh, individualism. Mm-hmm. Of, our, of our culture that that has really slip, slipped in where we're like, well, we don't want to speak on this as a as a denomination or as a body. We don't want to do that. We want to give everybody their kind of individual whatever, which I think is is funny because it we're trying to say, no, there, there's this communal aspect to being in a denomination with one another where where we hold these things together. Yeah. And we believe things together. And and we don't, it's not about everybody kind of just believing whatever they want. And we're just going to pool our money and resources together. You know, it's, if, a, it's a communal thing. If, if we're going to do that, if we can all just kind of believe whatever they want and, you know, everything is relatively fine. We just have to have this, this core thing called the Bible that we somewhat vaguely almost sort of have to agree on. Then, then we shouldn't be in a denomination at all. Because right. if we cannot join together on the three forms of unity, if we can't even hold on to those basic truths, what what else can't we agree to? Right? Those are the the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. the 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 Word itself and the three forms of unity are on what we rest our faith. Yeah. And if we're disagreeing about those already, everything else is just going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Because if we can't agree on the basics, we're sure for sure not going to agree on the minutia. Yeah, I want to connect a couple of things that that we've talked about um, now because I, I think this is a really important conversation for us to have, and I think you have a unique uh, perspective on this. Because so on the one hand, you know we've been talking how how important it is for us to stand firm on God's word, stand firm on our confessions, take stances, say this is what I believe, this is what I don't believe, and yet. One of the accusations that it came up on the synod floor and it's come up since then is, well, if we do that, we're going to hinder our witness in the world. And so I'm talking to you as someone who served as an outreach pastor and who's done outreach among some of the most, you know, if you want to use the buzzwords, marginalized people in the in the country, like the homeless and and all of that and inner city stuff. And so you've ministered there. Um, have you experienced that, that taking firm stances on God's word and holding firm to the confessions, that that's hindered your your witness in any way? No, no, not at all. And, and, and that's what drives me absolutely crazy is the people are saying, well, you're hindering our witness. I, I struggle to rationalize that because that leaves me thinking, well, what kind of witness were you being in the first place? Hmm. It, my reality is very simple. There are a lot of people that I minister to. And have ministered to throughout the years that have drug problems, that have alcohol problems, that are homeless. There are people who are struggling with their own sexuality, whether that be homosexuality or whether that be, you know, cheating on their spouse, whatever. Porn addiction, doesn't matter. I've got all sorts of people that I've ministered to. And right after we we made the decision in 2022 to affirm the current understanding, the traditional understanding of of the Heidelberg question and what that meant right after we affirmed the HSR. I held a meeting with my congregation, many of which never grew up in the CRC, many of which aren't churched. And I said, here's what the HSR did. Here's what this decision did. Here's how it impacts us. And here's what we're going to do moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
And what I told him was basically, this is where we stand. This is where we're going to stand. This is the work we're going to do. And on a macro level, it changes how we interact with our community in terms of there are some people who disagree with our perspective, but on a micro level, we're still doing our ministry out of love for Jesus Christ. And there are people in my congregation who struggle with their sexuality and none of them have left because of my stance or our church's stance of affirming the HSR. If anything, they said, thanks for the clarity because they know full well that the HSR doesn't say, Hey, if you're gay, get out. What it is, is saying, this is what we believe. We will love you and walk with you for the purpose of repentance and restoration. Just like someone who's struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse. Yeah. We're not booting people out of our churches because their sexuality, at least I'm not. I'm saying, hey, if you're struggling, come on in because we're all struggling with sin. What we're saying is that this is what we believe. And if you openly adopt that lifestyle and say, I don't need to repent of it. No, you shouldn't hold office. No, you shouldn't be teaching kids. Why is any of this hard? It hasn't changed at all any way of which I do ministry. If anything, it's actually made people come to church because there are a few churches in our area that are struggling and they go, we want to be where you're at. Cause at least we know where you stand. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, there, there's been this, this dialogue coming out of uh, this past synod um, uh, because a lot of people spoke from the floor. I was kind of taking under the banner myself. And then I, rewatch some of it and realize a lot of people talked about clarity, mm-hmm. right? So I wasn't the only one talking about clarity. A whole bunch of people were talking about clarity. And, uh, and then somebody stood up and said, I don't think people struggling with this are looking for clarity. They're looking for belonging. And, uh, and then there's been all of this, uh, this kind of fallout from some of the progressives saying that we were worshiping the idol of clarity, right? So that's a pretty strong accusation, really, yep. that we were worshiping the idol of clarity. And what, I, what I've found is very different from that. It's very similar to your experience where like we're, clarity and belonging are not pitted against one another at all. No, not at all. Um, and, and so we can have clarity and that uh, clarity actually helps you feel like you belong because you know where you're at. Mm-hmm. And all of the muddiness leaves everybody kind of walking on their tiptoes, not quite knowing where someone stands. They're not free to speak. But when you just have clarity on here's where I stand, I love you. Um, I care for you. Let's work through this. But but we're not going to embrace this when we have that kind of clarity. Now we can actually be in relationship with one another. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, I do think part of the problem is that clarity, it does help you know where you're at. But I do think it also helps our adversaries know where they're not. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big part of this is they finally realized, oh, wow, we really are kind of disenfranchised from the other 75%, aren't we? Uh, I, I think that was in play, too. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, well, I was just going to say that um, that you're you're exactly right. That's where some of the... Uh, I'm, I'm almost certain that's where some of the like vitriol that came right. out of... Um, fall, the kind of the fallout of Synod 2022, it was a reaction to, wait, this isn't the denomination I thought I was a part of. 
Right. Uh, when all we, all that happened was there was just clarity on what we've always believed, right? And that's even where some of the the false accusations are being labeled that it was like a coup and it was like this under like this working behind the scenes kind of a thing to to make it happen at at synod and and anytime people start doing conspiracy theories it's when something happens that happens completely outside their their worldview or the way they see things and they go there's no way that that can be real so something there must have been some dark doings there and so the clarity that of 2022 i think helped people see, uh, no, this is who we are as a denomination. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you you have a system in which, again, like we talked about previously, for the last 25 years, relativism just was allowed to spread, right? And all of a sudden, when push came to shove, and finally, there was no other recourse than to say, we've gone this far, we won't go any farther. And you plant your flag and say, no, it's done. All of a sudden, yeah, it shook up their entire worldview. Yeah. Because what what was allowed isn't allowed anymore. Well, it never was allowed. It's just that no one had been bold enough to say it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and 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 that is ultimately one of my fundamental challenges with the Christian Reformed Church as a denomination right now. I wish that there was more people willing to stand up, like like you guys, you know, who are willing to stand up and say, "Hey, what's wrong is what's wrong." Did. did Let's just be bold about it and be truthful about it because we, we didn't write this book that we follow. We're just trying to follow it as best we can. Yeah. And I didn't write those passages in Leviticus. I didn't write any of Paul's letters. I didn't write the 5,000 years of tradition that speaks to healthy sexuality. I didn't write that. The good Lord Almighty did through prophets and his apostles. So if that's all true, it didn't just change now. And so if we really want to do away with this, what I refer to as humanistic relativism that has encroached upon the Christian reform denomination, we need some people to stand up and be bold and go, we're not being relativist at all. This is what's true and what has been true and will continue to be true. Yeah. I've been thinking lately and, uh, I haven't said it fully because I wasn't sure if it was a fair accusation, but I've talked to a few other people who are probably more nuanced in their thinking and they agreed with me. So I want to throw this out here and we'll see if I get pushed back, see what you think. But one of the, one of the reasons I think uh, the CRC has had such a difficult time um, taking a stance on anything or really um, is because of uh, a faulty understanding of Kyperianism yeah. and this, uh, this desire to engage in the culture. Right. So I would call myself Kyperian. Mm -hmm. um, but, but so I've seen this through our denomination. We want to be engaging in the culture. We want to be speaking into issues. We want to be in academia. We want to be in all of these things. Uh, but we also want to be respectable in all of these places. Yep. And so we get up into academia and so we see some of these professors that have been like rock solid conservatives, like really solid. And all of a sudden the, the academic tides change and we see them just kind of they, they sway with the tide. Mm -hmm. And why is that? I think it's because like you're going to be blackballed if you don't swing with the tides. Right. And so you start to kind of justify in your own mind well, if I move with this, then I can, 
then I can preach the gospel into that area too, right? And I, if I, if I take a strong stance on this, I'm going to be pushed off to the side, and then I'm going to lose an opportunity to share the gospel or to, or to speak the kingdom of God into this area, right? And so I'm going to fudge a little bit here, just so I can keep my influence and keep my whatever. And and if we just kind of keep everything foggy and fuzzy then we can we can have official stances that are orthodox but but we can kind of wade over here and still be respectable in academic circles but when there's clarity you lose that and and it's kind of the funny thing for me because like i'm just a country farm boy i'm like a nobody pastor out in rural wisconsin and you know jesse you're in rural iowa you know there's nothing there and willie's in rural minnesota yep. and we're like I don't, I've never been respectable. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're not, we're not worried about that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just tell it like it is right. Like, let's just say what it is and, uh, and stand on this. And, uh, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I completely agree with you. I think that this idea of Kyperianism has, has been nuanced to death to the point that what was originally intended by Kuiper as a way in which to engage culture from the perspective of the gospel has now been co-opted by culture so that instead of it's us going out into the culture, culture is now coming into us. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Jesse Walhoff. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.